it's perhaps no surprise that the most peaceful nations on Earth also tend to be the happiest and the most prosperous. We need peacefulness, it seems, to truly thrive. You're listening to the Eudaimonia Podcast. I'm Kim Forrester, and today it's time to pay tribute to peace. Welcome to Eudaimonia, the podcast that is all about flourishing. Plug in, relax, and get ready for the goodness as we explore the traits and practices that can help you thrive in life with your host, Kim Forrester. Joe Berry is a British peace activist, public speaker, and founder of the non-profit organization Building Bridges for Peace. She is the daughter of the Honourable Sir Anthony Berry, who was killed by the IRA in the Brighton Hotel bombing of 1984. In the year 2000, Joe met with Patrick McGee, the man convicted with planting the bomb, and this meeting kick-started a decades-long campaign for peace and conflict transformation. It's an absolute honour to be connecting with Joe today to explore how we can draw upon empathy, acceptance and reconciliation to generate greater peace in our lives and in our world. Joe Berry, it's such a delight to connect with you. How are things with you today? Oh, things are really good and I'm very excited to be speaking with you. I'm absolutely honoured to have you here on the Eudaimonia podcast. Let's start with what peace means to you, Joe, What does it feel like when you have truly found peace in your heart? Or is this something that you're still sort of searching for? You know, when I was younger, I thought peace was something that I achieved and then that was it. Now I see that peace is a journey. Mm. Um, and because I engage with life, because things happen, because I hear about trauma or I meet people who are upset or I hear about injustice or I get angry or you know my daughter's having a hard time I realize that it's a journey and it's a journey all the time be mindful of what's happening with me emotionally what are the thoughts I'm having engaging with my thoughts and emotions and all the time transforming and, and working with how I am and actually I don't even want to achieve peace now as a state because I mm. want to feel passionate I want to feel upset when I when I hear about suffering and, and injustice and so it's more now what I want to be able to do is find a way to always transmute and transform the feelings and work for peace work to create a better world so it's definitely the emphasis has definitely changed for me I think that peace is just one of those states that we perhaps pursue with the idea that we're going to make it as a goal and, and then we'll have it forevermore. I think happiness is another one of those things. Is peace therefore something that you consciously realign with whenever you can and whenever it's appropriate to do so? I think that's what it is. You know, for me, peace is about seeing humanity in everyone. Peace is about accepting everything as it is not wanting to change the past but it's not you know it's really not there all the time (laughs) whenever I give my my talks I talk about the times when I when I do get angry and want to blame and want to make someone wrong and me right you know and have to go through the whole process again well perhaps there's a message in that Joe. the fact that being at peace in our life can also mean accepting when we are not at peace would you agree with that Yes, definitely. I'm very at peace that I am wounded, that I'm in the process of healing, that I live in an imperfect world. You know, there are times when I meditate, when I feel very peaceful, but then I'm also aware of what's happening in the world. And I want to be aware of what's happening in the world. 
and there's an acceptance. I live in an imperfect world, but in that there is also a peace. So you're certainly still striving for something, though, even though you accept that it's an imperfect world and that you will have these unpleasant emotions as well. You are striving for greater peace in your life and in the lives of people in the world. Do you feel, therefore, that peace is something that we can, is it a capability that we can expand within ourselves and certainly within our societies? Yes, definitely. I mean, I wake up every morning wanting to bring something positive into the world wanting to empower young people, want to support people in their post-conflict healing, whatever it is, I want to make a difference in the world every single day. You know, my father was killed in a terrorist attack when I was 27. I'm now 62. And that's been true, you know, every day since. Listening to your story and hearing more about what you've gone through, I can see that peace is perhaps actually made up of several components, things such as empathy or active listening, the honouring certainly of dignity and of human rights. Why do you feel these elements are important in seeking peace? And do you feel that peace is possible if any of those elements are missing? Well, I suppose peace for everyone in the sort of vaster sense of the name is when you know everyone on our planet lives with safety, um, has enough to eat, has shelter, safe to practice their religion, their home is secure, they can grow their, their crops, they're not hungry, they can get along with their neighbours, you know, there's a whole lot of different things. Peace to me is very much an active peace for the world. Now, how do we get there? And I believe we get there through, and I believe it is possible, but I think perhaps we're a long way off. But it's, it's about everyone challenging hatred in their lives, making sure they haven't got hatred in their hearts, doing what we can to share our resources, everyone taking their part to be a positive change maker. And for each person, mm-hmm. that's a different task, a different journey. You know, for uh, a young woman I'm working with in a poor part of London, there's a as a Muslim young woman who receives a lot of judgment and hatred, you know, for her, that's going to be a different task to someone I met in India recently who's working in Sri Lanka to heal the conflict there. You know, we've all got our own task and what that means to us. Now, for me, it is a lot to do with empathy because I believe that we only have an other or an enemy because we haven't heard their story. As soon as we hear someone's story, they're no longer our enemy or our other. And my work is very much to challenge the idea of an other because I see that stopping us creating peace. Because if we see people as an other, we're not going to want for them the same safety, the same needs that we have in our own life. And so for me, empathy, and that's like an unbounded empathy, it's an empathy for absolutely everyone is is hugely important. Because if I hear your story, I'm going to want for you the same potential happiness that I want for my loved ones, the same fulfillment. Mm. So I'm going to I'm going to work to make sure that you're fulfilled, that you're happy, that you have a sustainable life. So to me, empathy, and this isn't just choosing who to empathize, is with everyone, you know, is a is a key. Because we really need to be able to empathize. We need to bring empathy to our politics. We know we need to bring empathy to our foreign policies. We need to bring empathy to, you know, to those who are marginalized, who are oppressed in our own community, those not being heard. I love that you talk about how it's about bringing it back to the individual. And I feel that there is a practice that is widespread and it's sort of misconceived. This idea that I am me and the world is out there. Right, I am me and society is sort of somehow divorced from and separate from myself. And I feel that it's really important for people to understand 
we as individuals make up a society, correct? Yeah, definitely. So if we want a peaceful world, therefore, and, and peace on earth, what a wonderful, wild <laughs> concept that is. But if we truly want to live in a peaceful world, is it important for us to bring it back in to our own environments and perhaps be more willing to create peace in those smaller personal conflicts that we've got going around in our personal lives? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We, we need to heal the relationships and also know the ones which, you know, it's impossible to heal, but we can still heal the part that's to do with us, but it might not be appropriate to meet them. It's not always appropriate mm. to, meet, to meet people who we've had a, a negative conflict with. You know, sometimes it's not safe. But we can do the healing inside ourselves. It starts, I think, with us, you know, our family, our relationships, our, our community. And to recognise that we all have an other. We've all inherited this idea of an other in the culture we've been born in, the country. You know, we all can get manipulated by the media to think these people are impossible to communicate with. They are less than human. And to catch that, you know, to catch that moment when, when we've started demonising people maybe some terrible atrocities happened and you know there are people responsible well are we at that moment seeing them as less than human and that is like really understandable you know it, it's part of the human mm. nature but actually can we stop and take a few breaths and think okay so what's their story you know and see them as different from their behavior because I think we are more than our behavior What's their story? That reminds me of an interview I did last year with Marina Cantacuzino, who founded the Forgiveness Project there in the UK. Do you see forgiveness as being something that is necessary in peace building? Actually, I don't. I might surprise you. And I think this is because I've met amazing people who are also stories in the Forgiveness Project or who um, say, for whatever reason, they don't want to forgive. And yet, they're doing incredible work with their other, with bringing different sides together. And the reasons they can't forgive are to do with perhaps justice. Perhaps they don't know who killed their loved one or sent them a letter bomb or whatever it is. And it doesn't affect their ability to be compassionate. I also know people who say they have forgiven and they still have an other in their life. You know, it's about more about kind of some kind of moral righteousness. So I don't think forgiveness is a as indication of anything for some people forgiveness is really important and that's great and some people it's not and that's great I actually think that's quite liberating that answer now, forgiveness is very personal and incredibly difficult sometimes Joe. so I feel that if you yeah. if you are saying that we can perhaps seek peace amplify mm -hmm. peace even if we can't necessarily find it all the time and we can do so without necessarily having to find forgiveness for those who have transgressed then yeah. that's actually a really powerful concept to carry around listening to your story of the first conversation you had with Patrick McGee the man who planted the bomb that killed your father it occurs to me that it takes a lot of courage to seek peace Joe. it takes a lot of courage to become vulnerable in our opinions and our positions and it takes a lot of courage to reach out and see the humanity in people that we have deemed to be the other are we not setting ourselves up for more hurt if we let ourselves become that vulnerable yeah that's a really good question I and mean, i i think i i took a huge risk and i could have got more hurt at my first meeting 
you know, these days I do a lot of restorative justice and restorative processes where we bring people together who've had a history of, of pain, whether it's neighbourhood dispute or someone killing someone through driving and having a, a moment of forgetfulness or drug homicide, all sorts of different situations. And we're there. It's all about preparation and risk assessment before mm. you bring people together. Now, I didn't have any of that. I just <laughs> did my own risk assessment. I decided that he wasn't going to kill me. So that was it. And that I was going to go. And looking back, I was extremely vulnerable. And I think that was because I wanted to make it the most likely that he would open up. Mm. It wasn't a conscious thought, I'm going to be vulnerable, but I definitely was very vulnerable. And I sort of feel I got away with it, you know, and I'm not sure I would recommend this, <laughs> this way of going about things. And, and I think I was very lucky to, to get away with it. But also I was very, very clear of why I wanted to meet him. And it was not to change him. It was not to get any response from him. All I wanted to do was put a, a face to the enemy. Mm. I wanted to be able to look into his eyes and see some of his humanity. And that was about healing me. This is all been about my own healing and how you know how can I feel better and so I took the risk that I would be able to look into his eyes and see something. It's really interesting there that you advise against what you did necessarily and you talk there about preparation and risk assessment. Do you feel that we actually need to be ready for peace in some way or is the time always right to become more peaceful in our lives and in the way that we interact with those we are in conflict with? I think there's two parts to that question. I think the first part is how do we recover after trauma, after violence, after conflict? And I think a journey is always possible if we have support. Of course, a lot of people in different different countries you know, don't have support. They're on their own. You know, There's too many people who've gone through trauma and violence, so there's no way they can get counselling or therapy. But I think if someone can get the right kind of support, and whether that's trauma therapy or counsellor, we have different things in place in, in the UK, and I'm actually trying to improve it for victims of terrorism because it's not always clear that people find the right ways of getting support. But I think it's possible to go on a journey of healing and that we know what we need and we can recover, even if we don't get justice, you know, even if we don't know who killed our loved one, you know, even if they're still terrible injustice around and we can still go on a journey of healing and I think as human beings we have a huge potential for healing so that's one side of it that's just like our own process Mm. but if someone can't heal I'm not going to judge them because the chances are they don't know there's a choice to not go for revenge they don't know there's a way of being heard which will help them to move on they can't access it you know maybe they're overwhelmed with their pain and therefore revenge is the only option that they can see you know I, I do understand that and then the second part of the question is about how do we move on in respect with other people who perhaps been our other or have hurt us. And I think to me that's about creating safe places for people to be listened to. I created a safe place when I first met Patrick because I was also a facilitator and I think I facilitated him to open up. Mm. Ideally, there'd be someone neutral to do that role, to create a safe places. And more than ever, we have people trained in facilitating safe places who understand what has to be in place. When we have a safe place and we can hear someone else, someone who has a different perspective, who is our other, who represents our enemy, then I think healing can happen, miracles can happen. I've seen it as soon as there's a connection there, a recognition that 
okay, your pain is my pain. You know, it's the same. We have the same needs. We we both have mothers, we both have fathers, we both have children. Then that otherness can go. And then it's about us healing together. And I think that's sort of a wonderful way forward to recognise that, you know, we're, we're all healing, we're all traumatised and we're all healing. Mm. Well, it's interesting you're talking there about a safe space because you're obviously talking from your perspective. Obviously, or I'm assuming, that Patrick also needed to feel safe stepping into that environment to start speaking with you. Do you feel that the, it needs to be a safe space for all of the parties involved? Oh, definitely. You know, if I'm working in my restorative justice hat on, it's just important that the guy in prison for homicide feels safe as well. That we're there to protect the space for, for both parties, for all, for all the parties. And I think I did make it safe for Pat to open up. I was with him yesterday and he's written a book and we were going through some of the parts where he talks about me and, you know, he's talking about his moment of epiphany, mm. which happened at the first meeting. And that epiphany was when he stopped justifying and stopped talking about we and he himself became vulnerable. Mm. And I think that epiphany, he would say he was disarmed by my empathy. And if I'd gone in there arguing, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, you're a bad person, then he would have stayed. And for him, it was a safe place of righteousness. But that that changed for him and then he became vulnerable. And I think that's because he felt he did feel safe to open up. That's what I immediately felt from your answer there. When you're talking about a safe space for the parties involved, you're not necessarily just talking about physical safety, which is quite obvious. There's a sense here that you're talking about an environment where people feel safe to self-reflect, where people feel safe to be vulnerable, where people feel safe to have the courage to admit the choices that they've made and the consequences of those choices. Is that what you're referring to when you when you talk about a safe space? Yes, a safe space is an emotional safe space. So it's a safe space mm. in that you know what's going to be talked about, there are no surprises. That's very important. Safe space that you know you're going to be heard. You know you're, there's some ground rules you're going to obey. So you're not going to start um, shouting at people or judging people. It's more about I'm going to talk about my experience and the impact of what's happened on me. So there's a, a lot of preparation to create that safe space. I think the first time I ever meet with people, they might want to do a bit of ranting or, you know, just like saying it as it is. But by the time we have the face-to-face, the fourth or fifth meeting, then people are more able to, to speak in a respectful way. And that's that's hugely important. We're obviously talking about your story, which is quite profound. And the peace reconciliation that you deal with, is it's really quite violent and dramatic conflicts going on in the world but it occurs to me that if we have these smaller conflicts that are going on in our families or in our communities in our workspaces does it pay for us to create or at least attempt to create that kind of safe space where we can come together and trying to resolve these conflicts through peaceful resolution well definitely there's a lot of work being done about creating businesses to be more restorative because that's going to impact on the emotional well-being of everyone that works, you know, reduce the stress, reduce conflict and, and improve the well-being, which, is, which has got to be good because then people will work harder, they'll want to come to work. So it's a, I think it's really, really important to, to create restorative processes and that can be have a safe space where people can bring their conflicts to find ways so people can challenge each other. I think challenging is a, is a really important part of this. So it's not about 
just accepting people's behavior, however inappropriate it is, is no, it's about finding ways to challenge so people can choose to change rather than being told to change. I think the old way is like we make people change by force and that does not enhance self-esteem or enhance well-being. Hmm. So but we can challenge people in such a way that they hear the impact of what they've done and then they themselves can decide you know, how to change and what they need for those changes to be implemented. We've sort of skirted around this question a little bit, but I just want to go straight to the core of the question here. In your experience, Joe, which way does peace flow? So do we need peaceful environments in order to experience some form of inner peace? Or do you feel it's more important to find peace in our hearts that can then sort of ripple out to create peace in the world around us? I think all of it. I mean, we need to, I guess, start with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Start with giving up revenge. Start with noticing when we blame people. Starting with asking, what do I need right now in order to heal? But then we also need to create peaceful structures. There's a lot of violence in our institutions So how can we change that? I was with some young people yesterday from different parts of the world. And they were talking about the situation at home where, you know, the the violence comes from their politics. And I can see it also in my country. So how can we change it there? But I think it's all about relationships. You know, we have to create the relationships and change the relationships. And then that will move from grassroots to those that that can make decisions. Well, let's go there because many countries spend far more on war than they do on peace. In fact, I believe there's only one or two nations on the planet that actually have a ministry of peace. What can we do as citizens, Joe, to influence more peaceful policies at a governmental level? Or is there nothing you feel we can do? Yeah, that's the question I'm asking myself. And as you say, we spend far more money on on war and we, we make money out of weapons, which I just think is just appalling. So how can we change that? So I, I'm part of an, an international network it's creating different departments of peace around the world. And I would love to do more myself to bring empathy into to politics. So there's organisations that are working in that area and I'm linking with them. And I think it's important to support people who are, on, are out there working grassroots non-violently to change the, the politics in mm. their country. That's one thing we can do is to find the people you know we can't all be out there demonstrating we need to be very creative in our, in our non-violence as well we need to find different ways of of challenging any kind of hatred and we need to be supporting the people finding the organizations that are working in that that arena and support them and you know never give up hope you know these days with social media there's a lot we can do to challenge the hatred on twitter to find the people who who are having a hard time and support them and every day just what can I do to bring more love and compassion in, into the world on on every level has got to be the question. For me it always comes down to what we're choosing to amplify a lot of people will see a post that they totally disagree with it's hateful or it's it's full of violent language and their reaction will be to share that post and I find that amusing slash disappointing because I think we need to understand that what we share we are amplifying would you agree oh that's a lovely way of putting it yeah I think that's definitely true it's about amplifying the those that are doing really good work and that's where you come in the work that you're doing with your podcast it's, you know absolutely brilliant and we we need more and more and I think actually there are 
more ways to hear these stories you know, more than ever. So we can we can fill our days with inspiring, uplifting stories, so, which give us hope to cultivate a sense that you know we are changing things. Now you have actually known and worked alongside Patrick McGee now for nearly twenty years. Does peace become easier, Joe? Does peace become more automatic? Or do you have to keep putting in the same amount of effort on a daily basis to find a semblance of that same kind of peacefulness? Mm, well, that's a, a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I, I sometimes feel as my self-awareness grows, it kind of almost gets harder, gets more subtle. But then also it does get easier. You know, the amount of times that I that recently I've gone into full-blown blaming someone and hurt someone, you know, it's probably less, but I can still, actually, I'm not sure that's true. I remember even recently I did something that really hurt all my daughters. So I, I'm not sure that it does get any easier. Yes, in, in that I think I'm happier in myself and my self-esteem has grown. So I've got a foundation there that's, that's much stronger and my self-esteem and my self-care grows every day. So that does, mm. that makes it easier. But I can't stop watching out for the moments when I'm caught unawares and I'm judging someone or, you know, making someone less than human. You know, I, I still have that there. And maybe I'm someone who always will. I don't think that's true for everyone, but it's, it's certainly true for me. You've been criticised by people from the very beginning for actually trying to reconcile with Patrick or for reconciling with Patrick McGee. Why do you feel that people prefer conflict and division over peace-seeking and reconciliation. Is this something that we sort of fall in automatically? Are we used to it? Or is it inherent in our nature to create conflict? Yeah, another deep, great question. I think it's the, the idea that we are born into a sense of our tribe, our people, our community, and we are mainly caring for, for most people. We just care for, for this group. And I think that that comes perhaps from a time when we had to just look after our tribe, or you know we wouldn't have survived. But I think we're we're born with this conditioned state of mm. only our group matters. Now, what I've done is gone outside that group and met the other, met the enemy, and this enemy actually hurt quite a lot of of this community. Um, and they see it as betrayal. They see that I've betrayed that tribe. Now, from their reality, I have. I understand that. That is what I have done. But what I am saying is, what is betrayal? And what to me, what, what betrayal is, is, is betrayal of my heart. And my heart sees the humanity in connection with everyone on, on the whole global human family. I see I'm part of that. I want to go beyond this tribal way of thinking into a new way of thinking of saying, actually, you know, if you're hurting over there, I'm hurting because we're all connected. We all have the same humanity. I would be betraying my heart if I had an enemy. But that is like a shift and that's a different reality. And so mm. that it's not like one's right, one's wrong. They're just very different. And so people who come from the idea that I betrayed my father and, I, and I've met many people like that, uh, that I had someone say, I loved your father, therefore I can't support the work you do. And I really, really understand that from their perspective. That is their mm. truth. But I'm saying... Let's experiment. Let's see if we can create peace, you know. And actually, that that means not having an enemy. And so, therefore, that's why I've done this. It's about looking at things really differently. That's a really powerful concept for my listeners to perhaps think about, because not all of us are going to be ready for peace 
and reconciliation. Not all of us have the courage or even the capabilities, the skills, the knowledge to sort of seek peace in our lives and in our world. But what we can all do, Joe, is we can at least allow those who are seeking peace to do so with our approval, with our acceptance, perhaps even with our encouragement. Well, definitely. And, you know, with one of the hardest things for me and many other people is lack of resources. And like, it's very hard for me to get funding or to prove I've made an impact in the, in the world. A lot of what I do is for, you know, for hardly, I do it with very tiny resources because it's not seen as something that that should be supported. Mm. So that can be hard. And I'm not the only one. I think many people doing this work um, can find it difficult. In terms of support, I think now I have people around me who understand and who are incredibly supportive and really get what it is I'm trying to do. So I do feel very supportive. But I think if people can find others like me, and of course, you know, thousands, millions of people who are who are working to heal divided communities, you know, and to, as you say, I love that word, amplify the work that they're doing, then I think that would be, you know, fantastic. The Eudaimonia podcast show is all about flourishing in life. So how has seeking peace in your life enhanced your daily experience of life? Has seeking peace with Patrick McGee inspired you to reconcile with others in your life? Oh, it's opened so many doors to me. You know, when I was in India last week at the Peace Conference, I just felt so happy and blessed to be meeting these incredible peace activists from around the world. You know, I love that on Thursday I'm going to be with these amazing young people from age um, 17, 18 and giving a keynote for their conference. They've asked me to, to visit them. And you know, I had these incredible opportunities to make a difference. And I love that I care about people and that I I can amplify and I have a way of amplifying what I feel and what I what I think and I and I get to make a difference in the world. I mean I think that's an honour. Mm. I love that I have the inner resources now so that when I am hurting I know what to do. You know, I feel my emotional intelligence has, you know, gone up from nearly zero like back in the eighties. I don't know where I am now. There's still way to go. But, you know, like I'm definitely emotionally, I, I think, quite intelligent and in that, you know, I know how to listen. I know how to make it safe for people to open up. You know, there's all sorts of skills that I've learned through working with Pat. You know, I've learned about boundaries, which wasn't something I really knew about sort of pre-meeting him. It's been a, a crash course in learning a whole lot of things that now – I can enjoy in, in, in life and pass on to others. I love how you come alive when you answered that question. You absolutely come alive. And that's precisely why I create this podcast. I want people to understand that if we can conceive of these concepts, if we can start to integrate them, we can feel more inspired, more alive, even through the challenges of life. My last question, Joe, is one that I ask every guest on the Eudaimonia podcast. Can you offer a simple daily exercise? This could be a practice, a mantra, a ritual, something that can help my listeners feel more peaceful in their daily lives. Yes. Yeah, so I'm not someone who does the same thing every day at a certain time. Like I like that idea, but <laughs> I'm not so. But what I do do is I make sure that I tell myself every day I am doing my best. 
know, every emotion I have is understandable and I'm transforming my pain into my passion for peace and my ability to be compassionate. I think all the pain that we have, can it's like an alchemy, can be turned into becoming more passionate. So there is a purpose to having all the negative feelings. But without telling myself, you know, I am doing my best, you know, I approve of myself. I love myself. You know, I have self-worth. Mm. You know, with, without those positive messages, you know, I wouldn't be able to do the work that I do. I mean, you said earlier on about, you know, being courageous. Well, I I felt such fear, you know, such pain, but it's always saying, you know, I can work with this. You know, this is understandable. Right now I am terrified. This is understandable, <laughs> but I am doing my best. And sometimes it's baby steps. So those that are struggling right now, I'm asking, you know, what's the baby step you can take today? And it can be just to say, you know, I know what I need and I am doing my best. And today I might reach out to one person and that's enough. Well, that is truly beautiful. And I can see that it's because peace is about seeing the humanity in others. But what you're saying there is perhaps we can start by seeing the humanity in ourselves and accepting it. Definitely. It starts with seeing the humanity in ourselves. And I think we're, we're so so easy to be hard on ourselves, but actually to go, we are all doing our best right now with what we've inherited. Joe Berry, if people want to learn more about you, the work you do, perhaps help support you in your drive for greater peace and reconciliation around the world, where can they go to find out more? I have a website for my charity, buildingbridgesforpeace.org. And they can contact me there. I am developing my own website, but they can get they can write to me at buildingbridgesforpeace.org. Joe Berry, just an honor and a delight to have you here on the Eudaimonia podcast. Thank you for gifting your time and your wisdom. I truly appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's been amazing. I feel very blessed. As Martin Luther King Jr. once said, peace is not merely a distant goal that we seek, but a means by which we arrive at that goal. You've been listening to the final episode of the Eudaimonia podcast, Season 5. I'll see you back here again for Season 6, kicking off in late April. In the meantime, if you'd like to learn more about how to live a truly flourishing life, check out my Instagram page, I am Kim Forrester, or visit eudaimoniapod.com for more inspiring podcast episodes. I'm Kim Forrester. Until next time, be well, be kind to yourself, and be a beacon of peace.